Tasting one, two. Tasting one, two. Right, I think I'm ready. Now, it's going to go over there. Everybody ready to go? Let's do this. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters and dear friends and everybody who watch our videos and everybody who listen to us on podcast. May the Lord bless you. And what another wonderful day. This is the day that the Lord has made and we shall rejoice in it. And it's always good to give thanks to God. During the week I was doing Bible reading and I started reading there from Psalm 94 up to Psalm 100. What beautiful passages to read there. And one thing that really stood out for me was the, the, the greatness in the heart of the psalmist of King David when he wrote down these psalms. And it, and it kind of reminded me that we need to constantly thank the Lord for what we've got and for His blessings, which is plentiful in our lives. Now, I understand that we here in Melbourne, Victoria, are still living on a lockdown and it is not good you know we hear all about mental health um, people ask me whether i agree with what's going on in the state and, and the emphatic answer is no i disagree with what's going on but then there is the gratefulness to know that god is in control and he knows exactly what's going on and he also knows what we need to learn during this time there's certain things that we need to learn and there's still certain things that we need to understand uh, one thing that certainly came to my mind is you will not appreciate the value of something until you lose it. And this is so true. We are starting to lose some kind of freedoms around us. Things that people just took for granted. Now when it's taken away, you start appreciating the value thereof. And there's such a big lesson to learning that. And maybe we can preach about that one day. But for now, I want to continue walking with Jesus on this wonderful road through the Gospel of Mark. And he's on his way back to Jerusalem and we're walking with him. And how wonderful is, is, is all of these lessons that he teaches us and that we learn from him. Day by day, every Sunday when I prepare these messages and I open up and I read more about them. It is so wonderful, my friend. That the Lord is guiding our way for us. He's teaching us. He's literally cheating, teaching us how to serve Him. How to grow as a child of God. And it's such powerful scripture verses that we, that we come across. You would remember a few weeks now. It's plenty of weeks now ago that Jesus came down the Mount of uh, Transfiguration. And man, I will tell you, there is so many things that happened since then. When he came down that mountain. You remember when he healed the possessed. The demon possessed boy. And he had a lesson there. And this is so true about Jesus. Every time he uses the opportunity to teach. To teach and to preach the gospel. 
And that's what you and I should do. And more so, I absolutely believe that we are living in the end times. And this is the time now to preach and teach the word of God. So he healed this demon-possessed boy. And then he addressed an issue when the disciples walk and had this discussion about who's the greatest in the kingdom. You would remember that. And he took a little child in his arms and he started teaching them about the kingdom, how it works. And we needed to learn so much of service by just looking at our little children, how we serve them, not expecting anything back. And then, of course, the Pharisees came and they asked him that tricky question about divorce. And he still uses the opportunity to to speak to that situation. In this uh, time since he came off the mountain, he also addressed really, really interesting and, and important, serious messages about sin and hell. And you remember when he said, if your hand bothers you, if your foot bothers you, if your eye bothers you, or not bothers you, but if it leads you to sin, that you will end up in an unquenchable fire. And then he continued walking. And as we walk with him, he uses every single opportunity to keep on teaching. And, and this is where we found him last week when they tried to bring little children to him and the disciples tried to show them away. And I explained to you the social standing of children in their day. And that made for the reason why they would want to push the children away. And he took the children and he, that was a powerful message that Jesus gave us. That we need to become like little children for such belong the kingdom of heaven. And we also saw how that applies to us. Now, it is really, really interesting for me that as you move from young children, another opportunity uh, presents itself for Jesus now to teach even further and for you and for me to learn something today. Now, today I'm going to talk to you about the problem with riches, the problem with riches. And that is right, possessions, money and all of that. We're going to see today a classic example of these riches playing off in front of our eyes as we follow Jesus. We've come to Mark chapter 10 and I want to read for you from verse 17. So if you open up your Bible or if you want to follow on the screen, I will have the scripture verses for you there. So Mark chapter 10 verse 17. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? I, there's just such an excitement about these verses that I just read to you. Such a, a hastiness, such an eagerness in this. I don't know if you feel that, but this man was running towards Jesus. Now, in other uh, passages in Matthew, we read that this was a young man and he came running to Jesus. We learn a few things about this young man. We learn that he had his whole life ahead of him. He still had AIDS on his side. Um, and this is so what we see in our day and age, the young people and how, you know, when I read those words, I was remembering back to my younger days when um, I had a little bit more hair on my head for a starter, but I, you know, things were so easy for young people. And I, and I, you know, in my twenties, I thought for myself, I had my whole life ahead of me. 
And this young man comes to him and he's eager. He's got his whole life ahead of him. Not only that, but we see that this young man was rich. We're going to see that in a few minutes. He's rich. That, that equals in our day and also in their day success. If you talk to any young person today, they will tell you that, oh man, I want to work hard. I want to make a lot of money. I want to buy a car. I want to get a girlfriend. I want to marry. I want to buy a house. I want to buy a boat, a jet ski, a motorbike. And, you know, that is the ambition of the youth. And I can feel it. I can, I can literally feel it, the blood pumping through the veins of this young man. He's a rich young man. Not only that, but he was also a ruler. We, we learned this from Matthew. He was a rich young ruler. So he had esteem in life. Not only was he successful in, in, in getting finances together, but he was also successful by working him up in society and, and finding a very good place in society as a ruler. But then what we learn about this young man is that he is also religious. He comes running to Jesus. He recognizes Jesus is a teacher. He recognizes and he's, he's clever enough. I must say he must have had, had a good IQ to recognize and to realize that Jesus, lots of people follow Jesus. And no doubt that Jesus' name would have come past his ears. This is a really good young man. I think if you look at this young man and you would look at him and you say, what a stable young man. What an example for society. He's done everything right. And now we find him running to Jesus. Now, I've preached over the years and I said, it's good if you bring your children to Jesus. It's good to come running to Jesus. Well, now we find one of those who came running to Jesus. And we're going to see now what happens with this young man. He comes running to Jesus and he, and he you know, uh, throw himself at Jesus' feet. And then he asks the most important question in life. The most important. It's not how can I double my riches, the seventh step to successful growth, or how to make friends and not lose them. It's none of those. It's none of those. The most important question in life for every person in life is this question that this young man asked. He came to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Have you asked that question? Have you gone on your knees before the Master? Have you thrown yourself at the feet of Jesus? You say, but preacher, he's not here anymore. Oh yes, but he is. The Holy Spirit is here. This young man threw himself at the feet of Jesus and he asked the most important question in life. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? What a great question. But we need to understand what he's asking. What is in the question? He's asking for eternal life. Do you know what eternal life means? If I ask you to explain to me what is eternal life, can you answer that? So 
The question is, if you can't explain it, how can you ask for something that you don't even know what it is? This man, a religious man, came running to Jesus and he asked the right question. He asked for eternal life. So what is eternal life? If I ask you, you what is eternal life? And I know many people will say it's life after death. But, you know, a lot of the psychics believe in that. Everybody believes in that. What is eternal life? Well, Jesus has got the answer. And I'm so glad that every single time we ask a question that Jesus actually has got all the answers. This is why studying your Bible is so important. Because we find the answers to all of life's questions in the Word of God. So, if we turn in our Bibles now to John chapter 17, we get Jesus answering this question. Now remember, this is not the question of the young man. The young man said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So I've got no doubt in my mind that he knows what eternal life is. But my question is to you. And now for those of you who do not know what eternal life is, let me give you the answer and then we'll continue in the narrative. In John 17 verse 3, Jesus is praying the priestly prayer. And in the first part of the prayer, He answers the question to us. John 17 verse 3, And this is eternal life. I ask you the question, what is eternal life? Jesus gives us the answer, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only God, true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, when I ask you the question, immediately you would have thought, well, it's life after I die out of this body. It is life, I don't know, some people will say to you, I don't even know where I'm going to live that eternal life. It is life living on eternally. That is what a lot of people would have started. But the correct answer, biblical answer for eternal life, is answered by Jesus here. He says that they may know you, the one true, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now again, if you know me, I've taught about this already, I've teach you about this, that when you see the words Jesus Christ there, that it is Jesus in front of Christ, it means Him on the earth, that they may know Him on the earth as God, as the Messiah. Do you know Him like that? Now, let me just unpack that a little bit more for you. Because I get excited about this and I pray God that you do as well. What does this mean then? If, if He says that you may know Him, the true God, the only true God. Uh, many say, I know Him. I know Jesus. I, I've read about Him and in Sunday school they were talking about Jesus and you know what, I could say all of my verses when I was a small child and you know, I hear mom and dad talking about Him. I hear preachers preaching about Him. So many people, even the atheists, even the Buddhist, even, you know, doesn't matter which religion, they will say they know Jesus. And this is true, they will know Him. Uh, but you see, the thing is, they may know of Him, but still they may, may not know Him. I'll say that again so that I can explain it to you. 
They may know of Him, but they may still not know Him. There is a difference. You see, if you ask me, the Prime Minister of Australia, do you know Him? Yes, I know Him. But I know of Him. I haven't met Him. I haven't met Him. I haven't shaken His hand. And I haven't spent time with Him for a week, two weeks, three weeks. So I know of Him. I see Him every time on, on, on the news. And this is how people know Jesus. Let me explain to you that word there that he says, if you know him, it's not just head knowledge, no. This is a different word. The Greek for this word is gnosko. Now what does gnosko mean? Gnosko means to have an experience with God. So that no is not just to know of Jesus, to know of God. It is to have an experience with God. That no one else can give you but God. So that is different now. The disciples who became apostles, did they know Him? They've spent time with Him. They've experienced Him. John writes in the letters in 1 John. He says, He whom we've seen and who we've looked into His life, who we've heard. And you remember John was the one who was leaning against his chest at, at the Last Supper. He says, it's of Him that we write of you. You see, they've experienced Him in the flesh they did. I get that. But then afterwards, through the Holy Spirit, experienced Him as well. This is different now than just a head knowledge now. It's a knowledge that no one else has except you and God between the two of you. You see, it is the same word used. In the Jewish tradition, which often describe the sexual intimacy in a relationship. This is how deep that knowledge is between two parties. Now, we're not a religion. A religion know of something, but we know him, we've experienced him. You've had a God experience. And how do I know that? Because He comes and He saves your soul. It's a spiritual birth. And your spirit and the Holy Spirit confer together that you are saved. And He seals you with the Holy Spirit. And you know it. This is a different note. So again I come to you and I say to you that eternal life is that they may know, experience you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is the question that the young man came running to Jesus. And he asked Jesus that question. He says, what shall I do to have eternal life? To have this experience with God that I may live on forever with God. You see, and then he says to Jesus, good teacher. He says, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit the eternal life? So Jesus said to him in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Now Jesus is by far not saying that there's something wrong. You see, there is some people who come up and say that Jesus couldn't have been sinless because he says it right here, he's not good except God. No, but that's not the right uh, you know, explanation of the verse. This man had a faulty perception of good. His perception of good came out of the earthly view, not from a heavenly view. His view was that if you're successful, you're good. 
if you've worked yourself up to a certain status in life, that is good. And, you know, if you look at Jesus, Jesus has thousands of people crowding around Him, following Him. In His eyes, that is good. That's when He came to teach uh, to Jesus. He says, good teacher. Good teacher. So He was comparing Jesus with other teachers. And He found with the success that Jesus had, that Jesus is a good teacher, not so than the other teachers, which is not good. He's a good teacher. Why? Because he's got the following. And this is why Jesus corrects him. This is why he says, why do you call me good? So for a moment there, you need to put against what his criteria for goodness is, against what God's criteria for goodness, good, goodness is. And you, my friend, will see that there is an enormous gap between the two goodnesses. This is what this verse means in context. The goodness of God. That's what he compares it right. Let me read it to you again. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. So if you want to talk about good, compare it with God. What is good in God's eyes? What is good in His eyes? Certainly nothing that you and I can collect on this earth. There is one thing that I know of, and we're touching on it right now, eternal life. That's good in the sight of God. In fact, that's the will of God that every man be saved. So we continue on, verse 19. He says, you know the commandments. This is now Jesus talking to this young ru uh, ruler. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. What a brilliant young man. And again, I'm coming back to it. If you look at this young man, he will be an example for all of your young people on the outside. You will look at him and you would say, if all of our youth could only be like this young man. You know, he, he kept all of those commandments. He says it himself. All these things I've kept, not only for a week, not for a year, since my youth. I kept them all. This is a marvelous young, young man, a great testimony right here. Now it's really interesting that when Jesus starts quoting these commandments to him, he quotes to him the relationship commandments out of the law. What do I mean? Let me explain. The first section of the commandments is labeled what you called pietas. Now you've got it on the screen there. But pietas <clears throat> has to do with a man's relationship with God. Go and look at the Ten Commandments. The first section is your relationship with God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind. You shall, you shall not make a statue of other gods. You shall not worship other gods. That is what's called the Pietas. Now the Pietas, he didn't quote that to this young man. No. The second section of the commandments is labeled Probitas. Now, probitas has to do with a man's relationship with other man. I want you to see this. If This is critical here. If you can understand this now, this whole passage will just fall open for you. You will understand now what is happening here. Why did Jesus just quote back to him the probitas? 
the the commandments which has got to do to deal with relationships. Why? Because those are the ones which he was very good in. Those is the one. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not be false witness. Do not uh, you know defraud somebody. Honor your father and your mother. Now this boy said it himself. He said these things I did since my mitzvah. What is the mitzvah? The mitzvah is when they in the Jewish tradition is 12 years old. They are now seen as young men, uh, as, as adults. And, you know, they, they get their bar mitzvah. They come out and their society see them. The, the rabbis will come around. They will take the, the top of the cream into the rabbi university and they will become rabbis and sit and study and the Gamaliel and all of those. The rest will go into the workforce and start working like Peter, James and John. But at that age, 12 years old, that's when you start, you know, it's the age of uh, understanding according to the Jews. You start standing on your own two feet. You need to do all of the traditions of the Jewish tradition. And you're seen as a man and as a woman. Now, here is the thing. This young man was so good, exemplary by his youth since 12 years old until he runs up to Jesus saying, Man, I've kept them all. I help the old ladies over the road. I take their groceries for them. I honor that. My mother, my father, I've never bought a false witness. And I must say, it's really extraordinary for a young man to reach the heights that he did without stealing, without lying, without, you know, having anything to do with that. Excellent. Brilliant. But Jesus quote from out of the probitas. Probitas. The second section of the commandments, which has got to do with relationships. And this is what this young boy says, I've done it since my youth. Now let's continue on, because now we're getting closer to, to, to the critical part of this passage. In Mark chapter 10 verse 21, then Jesus looked at him and he laughed him. Why not? Here is somebody who's eager, who's zealous. And again, I come back to the point, if you and I see this young man, we will love him. We would want our children to be like him. You know, he's a very honorable young man. Jesus loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad and uh, at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What a sad piece of scripture. This is truly sad. You see, Jesus looked at him and, and in that love, Jesus said this lovingly to him. He didn't try to offend him. Lovingly, he loved him and said to him, go and do these things. And he asked him to do three things. And you see, the one thing that he lacked, which we will see, is he lacked the relationship with God. Remember, Jesus started in the first part and he gave him the second part of the commandments about relationship with man. But he lacked that relationship with God. This is what the second part of it is all going about. You can do every single thing correct 
And this is what we find in our society today. I can mention to you really, really nice people that I know. Really, really. I can call them up midnight, ask for help. They'll be there. These are really, really nice people. If you look at them, you say good people. They, they don't bear falsehood. You'd never hear them speaking anything bad about others. But do they know God? No. These are the people that now this address. And, and must I say that in churches you will find a lot of these people. They'll do the religious thing. They'll sit in church. They'll come to church. They'll tie, you know, putting money in the box. They'll give money to the poor. They will help everybody. Those relationships is beautiful. And, and even today I see churches. You know, I remember one church. Their motto can be love. You know, not Jesus Christ. Love. If you look at it, they love each other, you know, really to the death. But Jesus says you lack one thing. You lack this one thing. The relationship with God. His riches came between Him and God. That's the problem here. Because Jesus said to, to him, go away, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor. And you will have a treasure in heaven. And then he says to him, come and take up your cross and follow me. So he, he gives him three things to do. And I want to unpack that just quickly for you. Three things which is really important. Because this now is that God relationship. This is implicated that relationship. He says, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor. That's the first thing. And by far for this young man, that was the hardest. The hardest thing to do. Because he had a lot of possessions, the Bible say. You see, this is also called the fruit of repentance. This was one of the things which is the fruit of repentance. What are you talking about, preacher? Let me take you there. You remember when John the Baptist was baptizing at Betabara uh, in the Jordan, uh, just out of Jerusalem. What happened? Lots of people came to him. Lots of people. He, the, the Pharisees sent some people to him to go and see what is this commotion going on there. And he gave him the hard word there at, in, in the river. He said, you brood of vipers. The only reason you come here is because there's a fire burning in your life. There's snakes trying to escape the fire. But then... In, in Luke chapter 3 verse 8, and I highly recommend you read the whole passage. In Luke chapter 3 verse 8, he says to the crowd, he says, Therefore bear fruit, fruits worthy of repentance. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And then in verse 10, Luke 3 10, the people came to him and they asked him the questions. They say, so the people ask him saying, what shall we do then? Hey, prophet, hey, he looked like a prophet, John the Baptist. Hey, preacher, you say that we need to bear fruits of repentance. What is the fruit? What shall we do? How can we, how can we bear this fruit? Show us the fruit. Tell us what to do. And John do, you know, he, he did that in verse, um, in verse 11, Luke 3, 11. He answered and said to them, listen carefully now. Jesus said to this young man, go and sell everything and give it to the poor. Listen to John the Baptist. They say, what is the fruit of repentance? Verse 11. He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him give 
uh, likewise. So what is the first fruit of repentance? It is to stop your selfishness and to gather for yourself, but to look out for others and to give freely to others. And I believe that's what this young man had a problem with. Because that's the thing that made him sorrowful. I know that John the Baptist talks on there to the soldiers and to the tax collectors as well. He says to the tax collectors, stop stealing from people. That wasn't the problem this young man had. He says to the uh, soldiers, stop intimidating people. Oh man, if Victoria can only hear this, if somebody can preach this to Dan Andrews, let me not go there. But he says, do not intimidate people to the soldiers. But the critical one, the first one is, if you've got two jackets, give one away. Don't go and sell it for money. Don't do that. Don't give it to the poor and ask them to pay. Just give it away. Give it away because it doesn't belong to you. Your possessions belongs to God. Young ruler, you're going to lose it anyway. Whether you like it or not. But here is now the time for you to make a decision to do that and to follow Jesus and God. So that's the first thing he says to this young man. Go away and sell everything and give it to the poor. But then he also says, take up your cross. See that? And come. Come, take up the cross. Now, he wasn't meant to take up Jesus' cross. Jesus is the only one who could have bear his cross. Because on his cross, he carried the sins of all of humanity. Well, let me just correct myself of those who came to him. For all who received him. He paid the price on the cross. But he tells this young man, you need to take up your cross and follow me. And if you, you remember a few weeks ago, I did preach about taking up your cross and follow me. So what does the cross represent? Remember again, in Jesus' day, day, Roman rule, what happened? The cross was one of those things where everybody knows. It was a cruel death to die. But there were certain things about the cross which we need to understand. One, it was a place of shame. So in other words, they took you and hang you up there for everybody to see. Naked. Everybody could see you naked. It's a place of shame. For some people, following Jesus Christ is a shame. They're shameful. And, and it's actually the crowds, it's the people who make it shameful to follow Jesus. But it is a price that you've got to pay. This young ruler, that's going to be a big thing for him to do. You know, when you mention the word cross back in those days, in his mind, Ting will come up, the Roman cross. First thing, I'm not going to hang on that cross. I did nothing wrong. And the second thing about a cross, it's a place of persecution. And you see, that was a too big a price for him to pay to be persecuted because he's a Christ follower. I've said it before and I'm saying it again. The, the pace that I see things happen in the world is enormous. I've never thought, I've preached about things happening now all of my life and now I start seeing them happening and it's going to get worse even for children of God. 
It's a place of persecution, the cross. It's a place of pain and then eventually death. And this is the cross we bear. We need to die in ourselves. Now that is a big price for him to pay. That's the second thing that Jesus said to him too. Go and sell everything, give it to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. Come and follow me. And this is the thing. What would it mean for this young man to follow Jesus? Let's say for a minute that he says, yes, Jesus, I'm going to do that. Well, his friends will say, you're crazy. You see, that's part of bearing the cross. His family will say, what in the world's going on, son? You've worked your whole life through university to get where you are. You've made it. Why would you want to throw it all away? That's part of carrying your cross. But let's say for a minute he did that. He sold everything. He didn't walk away sorrowfully. What would happen if he started following Jesus? What would happen? Where would Jesus take him? Let me bring you back to reality. At that point in time, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, where eventually he will die. Where? On the cross. On the cross. This is so telling. So by selling everything, by taking ridicule, by following Jesus, where is that going to bring you? To the cross. But let me say that's the best place you want to be. At the cross. Oh there's a song that just sings about at the cross, at the cross. Where I first saw the light and the burden of my soul burned away. Turned away. At the cross, that's where Jesus will lead thee, this young man. To the cross where he would have built and found that relationship with God. Not only holding the commandments with man and relationship, but with God. But he was sad at this word, the Bible says. And he went away sorrowfully, for he had great possessions. Now, <clears throat> Jesus uses this, this, what happened there, again, brilliantly, as a teaching opportunity. He's going to teach his disciples something, and you and me as well. Well, we've already learned something just by going through the passage. But what is he teaching? Let's look at verse 23. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, see, he uses this now as a teaching opportunity. And my ears is all up now. I'm saying, Jesus, teach me. What can I learn from this, Jesus, to apply to my life? To become a grown ch a, a, a Christian, a grown-up child of God. Um, Jesus looked and he saw his disciples and he said, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? He didn't ask the question. He made a statement. How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? This rich young man, you know, I don't even think his dust has actually settled with him walking away. But that Jesus entered these words, fresh in their memories. And the disciples were astonished at these words. This gets me. I asked the question, why would they be astonished? I mean, that's a, you know, that's a statement Jesus made. They were astonished at his words. Now, maybe Jesus saw the astonishment in their eyes. 
the surprise in the eyes that he said that. But I'm going to get to a point now. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? Second statement, same statement. The first statement he said, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? Astonishment. See the astonishment? And then he says, Jesus answered, Children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches? So not only do they have it, but they only trust in the riches. Riches can't buy you anything and everything. You may buy a bed, but you can't buy sleep. Think of that. There's so many things I can go down. It is easier, he says now, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying amongst themselves, Who then can be saved? Now we need to understand what happened here. Why would they be astonished? Jesus said to them straight away, You know, people who, who have riches, it's difficult for them to get into the kingdom of God. People who trust in riches, it's difficult for them to come into the kingdom of God. But let it be clear here, Jesus did not say that those who have riches will not enter the kingdom of God. You see, money is not the problem. The love for money is the problem. And this is what he is addressing right here, right now. It will be hard, like this young ruler. Riches, riches hold him not him holding riches and this is the problem with a lot of people with riches they think they hold on to their riches i've got all of this riches that's not what's happening you're not holding on to them it is that riches who's holding on to you and you can't let go because it's holding on to you the the impact is on you now jesus says it is more difficult for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, when I heard this as a young man, I thought, wow, this is pretty difficult. Just, I thought like they did. I thought, wow. What I had in my mind was that needle that my mum used, and which I used in the army as well. It's got a, a, fine, a small eye and you take, you know, you try to put the string through there. It's really difficult to get a string through there some days. My mum, I always fondly remember this when, when I was young in school. And she would call me by putting on you know, my buttons. She would call me over because she couldn't get it in with the glasses. And I, as a young boy, could take it and just put it through. And I thought, Mom, what's the, what's the issue here? <laughs> Let me tell you, I now also wear glasses. And I also struggle sometimes to put the little uh, thread through the needles these days and I, I fondly remember what happened with me and my mum by putting it through. But that's what I had in mind. That's what I thought. That's, you know, what was a picture in my mind. But then later on when I read up a little bit more, it became more understanding to be what Jesus meant. Now I'm putting it on there for you to see. These are only images I draw off the internet. But back in their day with cities, they were fortified. They had walls around them and they had the gates. Now during the day, the gates would be open because there'd be soldiers there. But at night time, what the cities would do is they would close the gates. 
so that robbers and thieves and so on, <clears throat> other armies not, cannot come in by night. But within the big gates, there would be a smaller door. The gates will stay closed at night and people can go through the smaller door. That small door was called the needle. That was called the needle. Now at night times, people would go through the needle into the city. And Jerusalem has also got one of these needles. I've came across this image in Jerusalem of a needle. Exactly what I'm talking about. Now what did Jesus say? Back in those days, at night time, when the traveler would come with a camel, packed with all of the goods on top of it, and the gates were closed, the only way for this man to get into the city was through the needle. But here's the thing. He couldn't just walk through the needle with his camel. He had to come to the front of the gate, unpack everything off the camel. Everything. And then the camel goes through and they carry the stuff through. Some needles I read, I understand, were so small that the camel couldn't even walk through and they need to get the camel on his knees to try to get him through. Now this is the needle that Jesus was talking about. He said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So it is possible to go through. It's easier for you to go through than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now let me just quickly address, quickly, the amazement they had. Why were they so amazed? Because back in those days and even today, because we hear so many of these teachings on your TVs, people that some of you follow, people that some of you financially support because they cry out for your money. We hear it even in our day what was preached and believed in those days that riches is a sign of a blessing of God. And they assumed that wealth and riches show this, the, the, the blessing and the favor of God. That's what they believed. After all, if the rich aren't saved, who can be saved? That's the question. That's what Peter says. Who can then be saved? If these successful people who's got the blessing from God upon, that's why they reach. That's why they get the favor of God. Now, I don't, I don't believe in that. That's not what I preach at all. I can preach to you passages about Jesus that know anything on the earth. About Paul. About Christians who had nothing. And, and I, I know about Christians who talk to me about it that in their churches it's preached that if you're not rich, you're not born, you're saved, you're not born again. And if you don't give X amount of money as tithing, you know, in our church we don't even preach tithing. We, we take a collection up, a, a contribution up because there is responsibilities. But there's people going out there and they, they proclaim this. They say, oh, you know, you need to be successful and rich to be a blessing from God. And then you need to give X amount of money to the church. And Let me not go further on that one because that will just take us away from your message. But this is what astonished them, what Jesus said. 
It will be difficult. Didn't say they won't go, but it will be difficult for them. More difficult than for a camel to go through the, the eye of a needle. Now, let's continue and finish this morning. Mark 10, 27. But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but with not with God. For with God all things are possible. You see, what, what Jesus is saying, He says that, God's grace is sufficient to save even the rich young man. And we have plenty of examples of that in our Bibles. Think of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a rich young man, climbed into a tree to see Jesus. Jesus came past and he says, get down, I'm coming to your house. Zacchaeus. Think about Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man who came and he took Jesus out of the uh, Jesus' body to his tomb. Only the rich people had those privileges. Think of Barnabas. So it's not to say that rich people don't get saved. Verse 28. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house and brothers or sisters, father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Now again, this is not prosperity preaching. This is not by far Jesus saying, come give $10 today and we're going to multiply it hundredfold. That's not it. Jesus is just saying here that in a comparison with what the young man was going to lose, there's much more riches in God's barnhouse. And it's not necessarily on the earth, but it's with Him in eternity. That's what He's saying. You see, if we compare these riches with the young man, <clears throat> he would have lost all that he has. But he made his choice and will end up in, in a place where he don't want to be. He rejected Jesus Christ. He walked away. He was sorrowful. That is so sad. He was rejecting the Messiah. Make me think about a few other men who did the same thing. Judas Iscariot, for instance. He kissed the gates of heaven. Think of this. He kissed the gates of heaven and went to hell. What do you mean, preacher? Well, in Matthew 26, 49, immediately Judas Iscariot he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said before, He's the door. He's the gate. He's the door into heaven. He's the door into eternal life. Judas Iscariot came up and he kissed those gates. And he turned away and went to hell. Acts chapter 1 verse 24, And they prayed and said, O Lord, remember this is when they replaced Judas Iscariot now. The disciples prayed pray to, to, to replace him with another disciple. O Lord, <clears throat> who knows the hearts of all? Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Doesn't say they go to heaven. He kissed the gates of heaven and went to hell. Think of Felix. He looked into salvation. 
but he, went, he wanted to wait for a more convenient time. He looked so into it, like a lot of people who's even listening to me now, seeing me over this video. Man, you sit there and you look so into it that the time is not right. It's not convenient. Acts chapter 24, 24. And after some days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he went, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Salvation. That's what it is. Verse 25. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix as he reasoned, uh, uh, Felix was afraid and he answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. That time never came for Felix. He never called for Paul again. He never had that opportunity again. The opportunity went past. And he's in a place where he doesn't want to be. But he's not in heaven. Herod Agrippas, think about him. He stepped up to the very door of heaven and turned away. Now, not, not like Judas who kissed the gates of heaven. This man, Herod Agrippa, he stepped up to that door and he turned away. Acts chapter 26, 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuaded me to become a Christian. He stepped up right to that door. Almost, Paul. And Paul said, I would do, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. He didn't step up to those steps again. Herod Agrippa. He's in a place where he doesn't want to be. You see, this young man wasn't alone rejecting the Messiah. Judas did it, Felix did it, Herod Agrippa. These are only but a few. Let me finish with one more. Festus. This man, he heard the claims of the gospel and he called them ravings of a madman. We see all of that in the world. Acts chapter 26 verse 24. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and of reason. Festus didn't have another opportunity to call Paul mad. He didn't have another opportunity to say that Paul was a raving mad. He's in a place now where he knows that he was mad. Paul was right. Why do I hint like this? Because it is important. This young man came and he had a great relationship. He held all the laws of relationship. But he didn't have a relationship with God. Where are you today? How's your life? These men came. They kissed the gates of, of heaven. They looked into salvation stepped up to the door, turned away, and called these things ravings of a madman. No doubt, if a lot of people who know me today, and a lot of people see this, they'll go, geez, you've lost your mind, you're raving mad. Yeah, it's right. But I want to say what Paul says, I'm not mad. 
but I speak the words of truth and of reason. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for the power thereof. Thank you for the opportunity to preach it, Lord. Father, help us to build this relationship and to keep this relationship with you, Lord. That's important. Lord, it doesn't say that it's not important for this young man to hold the other laws, but the most important ones he neglected. Help us not to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.